<laughs> it's because there's a thousand things stored in here. That's why. <laughs> Probably been there for 15 years. Oh, good morning, you guys. I was just asking, um, I just heard Derek's not feeling well, huh? He was going to, Derek was going to read Acts 2 earlier in the service, so I, I want to be sure and do that before I forget to do that. So this is Pentecost Sunday. Has anything been said about Pentecost in here this morning? So Pentecost, it's actually this great convergence as you know, it's Memorial Day weekend, happily a, a three-day weekend for you all, but this, this weekend, a national holiday when we remember those who have sacrificed for the freedoms that we enjoy, this is also a pretty significant holiday, if you will, on our church calendar. It's called Pentecost, Pentecost being the, the arrival of the Spirit in all of the Spirit's fullness at uh, for the church there in the New Testament. And you can read about that, you can hear about that in Acts 2. So let me, uh, let me do this for us since it's Pentecost Sunday. So just to give a little background on this, you all. So Jesus has been crucified. He has resurrected. It is now 50 days after that. The word Pentecost literally means 50 Devout Jews have gathered in Jerusalem for one of three annual festivals. It's called the Festival or the Feast of Weeks. So devout Jews have all come together in, in Jerusalem to, um, to celebrate, and what they're celebrating is the giving of the law at, at Mount Sinai, actually. But Jesus' followers, they're up in the upper room praying because Jesus told them that they need to pray and to wait because they're going to be... Jesus witnesses to the ends of the earth, but they're going to need something more than their own strenuous effort and human activity. Some other power source is going to be needed. So that's when the Spirit of God comes and empowers them. Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them, all of them filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. This, this very vivid, strange, imaginative story, and again, the, the beginning, the very beginning of the fullness of the Spirit, and really the, the birth of Christ Church, although the people of God had journeyed together for quite some time. So it's Pentecost Sunday, but instead of digging more deeply into that scripture, I'd like for us to look more broadly at the work of the Spirit. Because while the Spirit came in fullness there in Jerusalem in Acts 2, that is not the beginning of the Spirit's work. The Spirit of God has been at work all throughout God's story. So I'm going to invite us actually to, to all travel together to another kind of strange and imaginative story that's going to be familiar to those of you who have been in Sunday school, either currently or, or long ago. And that is the Valley of the Dry Bones, most likely the very best well-known story in the book of Ezekiel. Let me give us a little bit of background because we have not spent time <laughs> in Ezekiel in a really long time. <laughs> I 
Uh, so what's going on in Ezekiel is the, the Israelite people, they are in exile. It's actually really a low point in the nation's history. The Babylonian army has come in and they have just wiped them out. They have wiped out the Israelites. They have defeated them. They have taken their best people. They have squandered most of their treasures. There's still a few there, a remnant there in the land, but most were taken into captivity into Babylonian. So it was, it was really a discouraging time in their history. Psalm 137 tells us that the people of God sat by the rivers of Babylon and they wept because they were not where they wanted to be. They are prisoners in a foreign land, rescued, or excuse me, uh, removed from places and, and people that they loved having lost most everything that they own. And they begin to question God's ability to reverse this terrible situation. And maybe they're even beginning to question God's goodness and God's love. And it is against that backdrop that God is going to infuse hope. So let's now turn our attention to the Valley of Dry Bones. This is Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were many, very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord." So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the, Lord, to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you on your own soil then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together, you all. Spirit of the living God, 
would you fall afresh on us? God, mold us and make us into the people that you long for us to be. May the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts, may it all be so very pleasing to you, God. We pray this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. So a very dramatic story that stimulates our imagination. The prophet is taken to a plane and he is laid down and he's led on a tour through just numerous piles of dead bones. It is really quite a, an eerie scene of death and despair. When all of a sudden the Lord asks the pivotal, seemingly ridiculous question, can these dry bones live? The prophet says, only you, Lord, know the answer. But then comes the crazy instruction from the Lord to the prophet, speak to these dead dry bones. <laughs> this story actually really makes me laugh. Now, put yourself in Ezekiel's shoes. Can you imagine this request? You are looking out into just a valley, a huge valley, a sea of bones as far as the eye can see. Now, I've had a few experiences of speaking to a group of people who do seem somewhat lifeless. <laughs> but this takes it to a whole new level. I really picture Ezekiel kind of looking around to make sure that nobody is about to see what he is about to do. How foolish he must have looked to the Lord's prophet standing in the middle of a pile of dry, uh, dead dry bones, telling them not to give up hope. But Ezekiel does it. He does what the Lord asks him, which I think is a pretty big part of the story right there in and of itself. He tells the bones that God will breathe life into them. God will breathe breath into them, and they will live. And after he says that, then the miracle happens. And these bones start coming together, and they form skeletons, but they're just like a lifeless mannequin because they're missing breath. So the Lord says to Ezekiel, you've got to finish this. You've got one more thing to do. You've got to prophesy to the wind to bring the breath to animate the skeletons, which he does to make them fully alive. All of this bearing witness so that others will know that I am the Lord who acts. Verse 14. This story, there is one key word that that really weaves all throughout this narrative that we just read. And that one word is a Hebrew word. It's one of my favorite Hebrew words, actually, because it's fun to say, ruach. You translate that as spirit or breath or wind. Ruach. It is the same spirit that we see at the very beginning of Genesis, the second verse of Genesis, when the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters before there is even light, beginning the work of creation. It's that same breath in the second chapter of Genesis when God reaches down into the clay and forms a body and then breathes breath into it so that it can have life, ruach. That same Spirit was with Isaiah, who was anointed to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to 
preach freedom to the captives and release to the prisoners. That same spirit is what Joel prophesied about when he said that a spirit would come and sons and daughters will have dreams and visions. That same spirit, Ruach, is in you and is in me. In C.S. Lewis, his Narnia tale, The Silver Chair, 10-year-old Jill Poole, she finds that the fate of the kingdom of the magical land of Narnia, that it rests on her tiny little young shoulders. The wicked queen has captured Prince Rillian, who is now under a magical spell by some sort of awful green powder. And the queen, she lives underground in total darkness in a castle that is surrounded by giants. And not only that, but she has an arsenal of magic spells in her possession. So little Jill is in way over her head. But Aslan, the lion, and the Christ figure in this story, he takes Jill to the very top of the edge of a cliff. And as they're at the edge of the cliff, he breathes on her, and that breath transports her into Narnia. And not only is she carried by the breath of the lion, but she now has lion's breath in her lungs. And when you have lion's breath in your lungs, nothing can stop you. So little 10-year-old Jill, she defeats the witch and, um, or yeah, defeats the wicked queen and rescues the prince. She is empowered for mission by the breath of a lion. Friends, that is true for us as well. But at this point in the story, back in Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel is looking out over into the valley of the dry bones, and he is not yet seeing victory. He only sees despair and defeat. A valley of dry bones, no life anywhere he looks, which causes me to think of my friend Jan. Jan is the older sister of one of my most dearest friends, KV. I have done life with Jan for about 25 years because of my deep friendship with KV and her parents. Jan's anorexia was revealed to her at the time of the birth of her fourth child. Her family was visiting. They were taking quite a few pictures of Jan and her new baby, and it became clear to the family that she was not well. She wrote everyone a letter soon after, and that began the very beginning of a journey for this family, a, a difficult road, walking together, not knowing what was going to be in front of them. Jan was hospitalized for many things over many years, including anorexia, but also drug overdoses and severe migraines. In time, she had addictions to everything from drugs to shopping, and she ran up credit card debts that her husband could no longer take care of. Pretty soon, the car accidents began, and there were many, always someone else's fault. By now, her marriage was hanging on by a thread. Her husband honestly had gone numb. His own brother had committed suicide, and he was paralyzed. It all seemed so very dark. 
For years, Jan was in denial. She was angry with those closest to her who were begging her to get help. She ended up losing most of her friends, including many of their couple friends, which, which really frustrated her husband. But so many of her friends ended up experiencing something called compassion fatigue because Jan's needs were so many. Sadly, she learned that the Christian church doesn't deal well with depression. Many people gave up on her. I think I gave up on her too, which pains me to stand before you and confess. But her needs were so chronic and never-ending. And I also carried with me a lot of deep pain for how this was adversely affecting my dear friend, KV, who by this point had felt like she had lost her sister. When Jan was at her very lowest, her mom called her every morning, day after day after day after day, and she said, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Everywhere you looked, dry bones. After almost 20 years of this journey with Jan, with no end in sight, there seemed little reason for hope. But God calls us friends to believe without seeing and always to make room for hope. This has been the great lesson of Jan's life for me. I recently spent time with her as I returned to Alabama. I had not seen her in almost three years, and I am humbled and overjoyed to stand before you this day and to share with you that I have seen the rattling of new life, new life that I had heard about for the past several years. I got to witness with my very own eyes. She was in such a better place emotionally and mentally. I watched one morning over breakfast as she ministered to someone else around the table who was in a new crisis, sharing about the powerful work that God had done in her life. Her marriage is in such a better space. She shared with me that sometimes even they thrive someday, some days. I watched as she had joy, as she interacted with her two college-age children, something I had not witnessed in such a long time. After the Valley of Dry Bones for 20 years, it was all breathtaking to watch. As my friend KV shared with me, I am still dumbfounded. It is completely miraculous and not logical. God is a major rescuer in the places where we only see pinpricks of light. God breaks in. I'm so grateful to have my sister back. Hold on to hope, people of God. There is always room for hope because of the inbreaking spirit of God, the power and the presence of the powerful Spirit of God coming in and breaking in where there seems to be no place for hope. It's a work that only God can do. Ezekiel 37 announces the good news of hope and new life, that God has not abandoned God's people for its original audience. 
the Babylonian captivity will end. God's people will return to their home. The temple was rebuilt and Babylon was defeated. God reassures the Hebrew people that they do indeed have something to live for. The very essence of God is to take that which is dead and to make it alive again. God is a God of resurrection. Friends, what Israel needed to hear, we need to hear too. God will breathe in us. He will breathe in us life-giving breath that will make us fully alive and give us the power to do the mission that God uniquely asks us to do. We have lion's breath in our lungs. Because of this, we can step into today and we can step into tomorrow with courage and with hope. Today we celebrate the Spirit of God at work in God's world. And we profess in the Spirit's power for mission. Let's pray for the Spirit to enter our dry and weary bones. Sometimes life comes at us with the kind of challenges, difficult and even painful circumstances that require a daring and courageous response, a response of faith. Why does the church keep pouring its little cup of water into the Sudan and Syria and other desolate places where hope has dried up? Why does the church continue to visit shut-ins and people in the hospital when we do not carry with us a magical pill to take away another person's pain? Why do we collect canned goods to benefit the Capital Area Food Bank and to recruit tutors and teachers for Monasta Cristo and, and for Partners in Hope when we know that will not cure poverty? Why do we do this? Because God is not done yet. God is not done yet in the city of Austin. God is not done yet in God's larger, larger world. God is not done yet in your family. And God is not done yet in your individual life. So we will take our stand beside Ezekiel. And we will proclaim our hope to the dry bones. I'm going to have pastor and seminary professor Craig Barnes close us, send us out with something he wrote called Resurrection Hopes. Thus says the Lord, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. You who have given up hope, you who have given up dreaming, you who believe your only option is to live with shame and guilt. You who think your best years are over and behind you. You who buried your own personal joy when your loved one died. You who think that the Lord God has forgotten all about your life. It is to you that I say, arise. Arise from the heap of discarded dreams and broken hearts. Arise to discover that the Holy Spirit is breathing life back into you. Arise to live with magnificent hope. Because the world that too often resembles the valley of dry bones needs for you to believe that God is not done yet. God is not done yet. 
So breathe in the Spirit. Be filled and live for the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Breathe on us, breath of God. Send your spirit into the parched, hopeless valleys of our own lives, the same spirit promised by Jesus. How we pray that there will be a fresh wind of your spirit in our midst, that we might stand as a vast army declaring that the Lord is God. So Spirit of the living God, come and have your way with us. Infuse us with hope and with faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.